We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone. We are back. The Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I was gone last week. Sorry, I had to work during the draft uh, on the draft coverage stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, Justin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. Uh, glad to have you back. You know, we had we had we had Zach stand in last week at Ford's Pod, and he did a great job. Don't get me wrong, but he did we're a great back job. rocking and rolling with the uh, original MCA crew this week. That is absolutely correct. We are back and we are here to talk about, of course, the Tennessee Titans 2021 draft class. We're going to go through it pick by pick and give you our thoughts, our expectations for the players, what we were expecting during the draft, picks we agree with, picks we maybe disagree with. We'll get into all of that. The Titans picked Caleb Farley in the first round, 22 overall, cornerback out of Virginia Tech. In the second round, they went with a Offensive lineman Dylan Radens out of North Dakota State probably will step into the right tackle position sometime during this season. In the third round, after trading back from pick 85 to pick 92, they picked up Monty Rice, linebacker out of Georgia. Then later in the third round with their pick 100 overall, they took slot cornerback Elijah Molden from the University of Washington. In the fourth round, after not drafting a wide receiver yet, the Titans traded up, trading their fifth round pick and pick 125 overall to move, or 126 overall, to move to pick 109 overall in the fourth round to take Louisville wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick. That was pretty shocking. And then later in the fourth round, they took Pittsburgh edge Rashad Weaver. With their last two picks, they took LSU wide receiver Racy McMath and Oregon safety Brady Breeze. And then after the draft, the Titans signed a handful of free agents, have not been announced by the team yet, but they include tight end Briley Moore, a kicker, Blake Howbeal, don't know how to say that name, we'll come back to that later, offensive lineman Chanding Herring, guard Cole Banwert, a defensive lineman Justice Reed, tight end Miller Forrestall, no... A defensive lineman named Naquan Jones, which is hilarious. A fullback, Tory Carter, and a punter, James Smith. So the Titans have a handful of undrafted free agents. We'll see how many Iowa, of those guys. Iowa running back, too. I think we missed in there, um, oh. Makai Sargent. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Iowa running back, Makai Sargent. And that would put the Titans uh, close to 90 players, but they signed a few guys, some news, some roster news during the week on Wednesday and Thursday. On Wednesday, they signed uh, wide receiver Fred Brown, formerly with the Denver Broncos, um, who's played 14 games for the over the past two years. And they also signed a handful of guys on Thursday. Um, Falcons running back, former Falcons running back Brian Hill is probably the most noteworthy name. He's played a lot for the Falcons over the last few years. And they added back defensive, ba- defensive cornerback Greg Mabin, who you may remember as being the guy who potentially started the COVID outbreak in the Titans locker room back right before the Buffalo Bills game. And also a linebacker, Justin March, who I think is going to be more than a camp body because for the past four years for the Dallas Cowboys, he's played a key special teams role. And we've talked a lot about on this podcast, how the Titans have a lot of special teams roles to replace. So after that long spiel, that's everything that happened. We're going to now dive into it and give you our analysis. Justin, your overall thoughts on the draft class. Yeah, you know, they came away with some players that I really like. You know, Farley, obviously, I talked about last week, did a deep dive scouting report on him as last week's episode, uh, ha- you know, were, was recorded right after they made the pick, basically. So it was the only thing we had to talk about last week, me and F-Words pod. And, and, and I dove into that and gave an extensive review on Farley. If you are listening to this episode on Friday morning, make sure you head to broadwaysportsmedia.com. I got a story that published just this morning about Caleb Farley. I got together with his coach, uh, at Virginia Tech, Brian Mitchell, who coached cornerbacks at the school in 2019. Coach Mitchell's now in the same role at NC State, but he did coach Farley at VTech. And I had a great time with Coach talking about Caleb and how he kind of uh, helped, you know, mold the athletic tools that were there. Uh, so really love the Farley pick. 
uh, really like um, uh, the Elijah Molden pick. That's one that I'm totally behind. I can't say enough good things about that one. I think that was one of the best value picks in the entire draft, getting Molden where they did. Really like the right tackle. You know, Dylan, Dylan Radins, as you said, think he's going to come in and, and, and be the long-term answer at right tackle. I mean, which he better be, right? They use a second-round pick on him, let's be honest. Uh, where, where things start to get interesting for me was the Monty Rice pick. You know, that's the one that I really didn't see coming, caught me off guard, and uh, I don't know about it. I do have some thoughts, and I'm sure you're going to ask me about them, and, and we'll get into them. And, and Des Fitzpatrick uh, kind of surprised me a little bit as well. But I, I really love the Molden pick. I really love the Farley pick. I like Raiders. I liked the Rashad Weaver pick at the time, but some things yeah. have happened since then that, uh, you know, we're, we're not so sure about. Uh, about him right now. So uh, I think they got some good players and also made some, some interesting choices that we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on. Yeah, absolutely. There were definitely some interesting choices. We'll talk about just some notes overall in the draft class. I tweeted this out, but I'll say it again. Six of eight, six of the eight picks were guys who played in the senior bowl and a seventh played in the shrine game. So seven of the eight picks, everyone except for Caleb Farley, was a all-star game scouting circuit bowl game kind of player where the Titans had a chance to go out and spend time with the guy. Everyone person, after Caleb, right. yeah, in person. Just something, that's the only time they got to do that uh, for an extended period of time. They got to see guys at pro days, but no visits to facilities this year, just a bunch of Zoom calls. So you can tell, I think this has a lot to do with the Isaiah Wilson pick and the ramifications from it is that this year the Titans were like, look, we are only going to draft guys that we feel good about, and we only feel good about guys that we got to spend time with in person. Right, and they did, did they do that with Isaiah Wilson last year? I think they met with him at the Combine. Yeah, they didn't but get to spend They didn't get him for an in-person visit. No, no in-person visits. They said they probably did Zoom meetings with him, but... They did, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they had him at the Combine, but that was it. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, though. I think that's a good point. I think... I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that they ended up with a bunch of guys that were all at the all-star circuit. You know, the only time they could get with them in person. And I'd have to think that I, as much as we might hate to admit it, that Isaiah Wilson probably played a role in that. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of an overreaction, but I guess, I guess it's worth it. If it means you're going to hit on players from a character standpoint, then that brings up the question of Rashad Weaver and how you miss something like that after going through this process. And also brings up a, a, a kind of question I have is, do they put too much emphasis on that? Because this is something Mike mentioned on the F-Words pod this week. But when John Robinson, they showed the phone call, John Robinson to Monty Rice, he said something like, you really, we just, you left a, such an impression with that thing you said at the Senior Bowl or something like that. It's like, how are they putting a little too much stock into the in-person meetings? And I don't know, because when you just think about the tape with some of these picks, uh, players that were on the board compared to the players they 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 ended up drafting. Just from my own personal opinion and and the general consensus of scouts and the media people around the league who do this for a living, is that the Titans overdrafted maybe Monty Rice and maybe Des Fitzpatrick and these guys that were projected to go much later on. They they got they you know they traded up for Fitzpatrick when Amon Ross St. Brown and Tylen Wallace were still on the board. So. That was pretty crazy to me. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely. The, the Monty Rice pick, again, is the one that really made me scratch my head at the time because going with a linebacker in that scenario re really caught me off guard. You know, they traded down from 85 to 92. We all thought it was going to be a receiver at 85. Right? They, they trade with Green Bay. Green Bay takes Amari Rodgers, a receiver, one of the best receivers on the board. Uh, at that pick, and Titans were certainly aware that that was what Green Bay was going to do. They obviously didn't want Amari Rodgers. I, I don't really know why. I, I'd love to know why. I thought he was a terrific prospect, a really interesting, good football player that can live in the slot. Um, they they go to 92, and it's a linebacker. I mean, that's the one. You know, I I know the way this fan base operates. When it wasn't a receiver at 22, people were worried. I understood it though. You know, I understood going corner there. I especially understood going Farley specifically. When they went right tackle in the second round, everyone expected receiver. I uh, yeah. didn't shock me. You know, I, I would have put my money on receiver. I'm not going to lie and pretend I'm smarter than I am, but it didn't shock me. Tackle is a premium position. They do not have a long-term answer there at right tackle. It makes some sense. 
When they came back, though, at 82 or 85, they traded down. I go, okay, surely, you know, going into the draft, corner, receiver, tackle, I would have said that was their three biggest needs. They knocked two of those off the board already. Surely this has to be a receiver. And when it was a linebacker, you know, knowing that they got Rashad Evans, Jayon Brown, and David Long on the roster, that shocked me. And I said this on 440 Sports recently with, with, uh, with Braden. There's a scenario, and I'm not trying to be a, you know, a, a fad who spins it in, in, in their direction and like everything they do, yada, yada. But I do think there's a scenario in 2022 where we look back and we like the pick. It's not impossible. Rashawn Evans is on a contract year. Jayon Brown is on a contract year. I would hedge my money that both of those guys are not back in 2022. Both those guys play on these expired deals and they're gone. They sign elsewhere. You go into 2022 with David Long, he'll be on the final year of his contract. If you're looking at a situation in 2022 where you're starting David Long and Monty Rice, and Monty Rice is is, is developed well and he's a good football player, you're going to look back and say, I like that pick. I promise you, if that's what happens, and you're going to give John Robinson his due. You're going to give him props for saying, hey, Good job having the foresight to see into the future. You knew you were going to need this, and, and you got it. And better to fill a hole and keep the cupboard, cupboard filled, right, with something than having to be forced to go out and get it. So there's a chance there that you're going to like that pick. But in the situation they were in, I, I don't know that they were in a position to address a future need, if you know what I mean. I don't know that they had that luxury with everything right. else they have going on, especially at receiver. And then they came so, back eight picks later and they still didn't take a receiver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I think it was crazy to most people who follow the Tennessee Titans to see them leave day two without adding a wide receiver and to double dip at cornerback before they add a wide receiver for a guy who honestly might be one of the best corners in this entire class, at least when it comes to his specialty, which is playing in the slot. I think, honestly, it was a great pick. I'm a huge fan of adding good players wherever you can get them in the draft. But when you think about how many wins it adds in 2021, like, who does that push off the field? Because most of the time you're going to play with three cornerbacks. But on the other hand, depth is very important. And I agree. I think the same same applies to the linebacker position. And I totally agree with what you're saying. And And if Monty Rice is good, then that's true. But if... I mean, there's other linebackers in the draft. There are, I don't know, I mean, whatever. If they think he's the guy, then he better be the guy, right? Because if he's not, that's when, it, it all depends on how good the player is. So you get good players wherever you can get them. But there's still the wide receiver problem, which they, they waited so long to address that I felt like when they traded up for Des Fitzpatrick, they were just in a situation where they did that out of desperation because all the guys they liked were gone. And Des Fitzpatrick was like the last one that they liked for some reason. Right. I mean, that must be their logic. Right. I don't, I don't know that it was desperation. I, I don't think I'm going to agree with that. Cause if you were that desperate, they had four chances to take a receiver and they didn't take one. So I don't think it was desperation. I do think around that Monty Rice pick, there was a killer stretch there where Hunter Long came off the board Tommy Tremble came off the board. Diami Brown, all those guys came off the board like back to back to back right before the they traded away out of 85. So I think there's the possibility that maybe they were targeting one of those guys and it could have been a tight end. He's still a pass catcher, right? Could have been Tremble, could have been Long, could have been Diami Brown. They traded out of 85. But I don't know that I would say the Des Fitzpatrick trade represented desperation because I don't think you're that desperate in your mind, you know, Maybe they should have been, right? <laughs> More desperate, but I don't think they were because I, they passed on it four times. Yeah, I agreed. And it's interesting. It, I think what's just interesting to me is that guys that I really liked, like Terrace Marshall, who they passed on for Raidens, who I think is going to be a great player. I mean, I think he's going to be exactly what the Titans need to add, you know, starting out as depth for the offensive line, which is super important because injuries happen every year. And a lot of times the healthiest team is still standing in the playoffs, but if you have great depth, then you can overcome some of those problems. And Raidens can play left and right because he played left tackle mostly at North Dakota State. He can also play on the interior. They, it, I mean, some some people even said he would be a better guard than tackle. So, like, if he doesn't work out at tackle, 
try him there for two years. If it doesn't work out, move him to left guard when Roger Saffold is gone. Right. So I don't know. They got some uh, depth at tackle. Not, not to, not to hold yeah, in on do. that, but I, you know, th- they're five deep at tackle. Call me crazy, but Taylor Lewan, you know, Dylan Radins, Kendall Lamb, Tyson Brelo, and, and Q, right. David Kissenberry is still there as well. So, I mean, they're, you know, Q and some Brelo aren't terrific players. Don't get me wrong. But they're NFL rosterable player. How many teams don't have a third tackle that's rosterable? You know what I mean? And they're absolutely screwed if the third guy's got to play. They're, they're four or five deep at tackle. It's an interesting situation there. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about the wide receiver situation in general. I well, just, they're not four or five deep. Well, it's interesting. I'm gonna. This is going to be something that I think we're is kind of an experiment that John Robinson is conducting here. And I think my over my overall point there was that they liked, they ended up liking Des Fitzpatrick over a lot of guys that I thought I just liked as wide receiver prospects. And they liked them better than Amari Rogers. Yeah, exactly. They liked better than Tylen Wallace. They liked them better than Amon Ross St. Brown. And, uh, yeah. And, and a bunch of other guys too, that they passed on in the second and third rounds there. Um, Nico Collins is one of them too. So it's interesting that that's the guy that they like, but if, but the way the Titans look at players in the draft is they're trying to define guys to have specific roles. And when you look at what they came away with this year, I think you see four starter, four potential long-term starters that if they aren't starters are more or less busts, uh, of a player, you know, and, and that being Caleb Farley, Dylan Radins. Elijah Molden and Rashad Weaver, and then four guys who you hope contribute in some way, but at the very least will probably have a special teams role or a depth role. Like they will provide some value just if they become starters, it's more of a surprise than an expectation, I think. And when you come out of a draft with four, if you come out of a draft with four starters and four good role players, I mean... It's probably not going to work out that way just because that's how draft the drafts go. You don't usually end up hitting on every pick, but if they did, like that's a solid good contribution to the roster for the 2021 season. I'll I'll bring up I'll I'll make a bold prediction on the uh, on this show right now. If Monty Rice and I'm not saying he will or won't, but if if Monty Rice is is what they think he is and they, and they and they're happy with him and how he develops, he's a starter in 2022 as a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a very realistic situation, and it'd be him and David Long, right? Yeah, I think that's the likeliest outcome, truth be told. Jayon Brown is here, you know, let's be honest, because he couldn't get the deal he wanted elsewhere because of the injury. Ended up getting a steal on getting him back. Rashawn Evans, they're going to decline that option. I think it's probably his last year here as well. It's Monty Rice and David Long in 2022. That's my opinion. But you talk about some of the other guys there with the with stars. Elijah Molden, I haven't gushed enough about him yet on this episode. You don't know how much I love that pick. I mean, go to my big board before the draft, top 50 guy. Go to the scouting report I wrote on him, broadwaysportsmedia.com, more than a month before the draft. I ended that with this player would be an excellent fit for the Tennessee Titans. Heck, he'd be an excellent fit anywhere. I got to be honest, but. Great football player, can move around the field, do things for you. Yes, the size isn't great. The length isn't great. The testing wasn't terrific. It's probably why he was still available at 100. I don't care about any of that stuff. He should not have been there. Rare instincts, rare ball skills. He's so smart. Out of all the players I interviewed this cycle, he was probably in the top three of the smartest football players I interviewed. He loves the game. He's passionate. X's and O's are his thing. It's his jam. He loves studying the game. A terrific pick that I am extremely confident is going to be a hell of a football player. I agree. I fully agree. If you saw what Mike Vrabel said about him in their press conference, he said that Molden studied for his interview with the Titans, the zoom interview. That doesn't study studying their defense and came prepared with like notes about how they play certain coverages and against certain offensive looks. And it was, I mean, that just blew my mind that that doesn't shock me one bit. Not to cut you off, but haven't spoken yeah. to him. That does not shock me at all. First of all, he played at the University of Washington. Coach Jimmy Lake is one of the best defensive minds in all of college football. Uh, huge fan of what he's done there at Washington for several years now. Uh, and, and when I interviewed Molden, he talked about playing in that defense. He said, look, I, I played the nickel. The nickel is the most important position in our defense. Coach Jimmy Lake just went on the NFL Network and confirmed it, said the same thing. 
He said, hey, Molden played the nickel. It's the most important position in our defense. They make the calls. They make the checks. They are responsible for everything in our defense. I talked to Molden about it. He said to me, and this is a guy who critiques himself. He said, I watch tape on myself as a junior, and I cringe on how little I knew and how much I still had to grow. And I promise you, that's just him being hard on himself. But he's just such a smart football player, and he's only gotten better uh, as time has gone on. So when they picked him at 100, as much as I was concerned about receiver, I promise you, I jumped for joy. I applauded it because I knew that's going to be a terrific football player. Yeah, I mean, when you look at what John Robinson has done in the past in terms of scouting cornerbacks, he drafted Logan Ryan when he was with the Patriots, or he was played a big role in Bill Belichick drafting Logan Ryan with the Patriots. Round three, pick 83. Molden goes round three, pick 92. And there's some concerns about his size because he's only 5'9 and a half, but he's He's plenty athletic at 44740, and he had a 40-inch vertical jump. That those are explosive numbers for a guy that plays as smart as he plays. So I agree. I'm I'm super excited about this pick as well. I think it's I think it was like if I had to give grades to each pick, which I don't like doing at all, I would give this one the A plus and Caleb Farley an A even though I also love the Caleb Farley pick and you and I sat here on the last podcast before the, the draft and we both predicted Caleb Farley would be the pick at 22 and he was. So kudos to us. We called that. We talked a lot about Caleb Farley and how that would be a home run. And I do think it's a home run, but there is still that tiny element <laughs> I don't think is a huge risk. A lot of people think it is a huge risk. The back surgeries are a risk. So to me, Caleb Farley's the A. Elijah Molden's the A plus. To get that guy at ninety two, I'm surprised he was still on the board. Honestly, at hundred, or or sorry, at hundred, I said ninety two earlier too. Sorry. Yes, thanks for the correction. Yeah, pick a hundred. Um, yeah, that's that's a steal. I can't believe that other teams didn't also see that in terms of talking to him and inter and meeting with him and stuff. You know, and I think Molden said that he thought the Titans were the team that that liked him the most as well. So that's just a perfect fit. I think. And I'm really excited to see him. I think he, of all the rookies, I think he has the best chance to play a lot as a rookie. I do think he has a really good chance to play a lot. And you're right. I don't think, you know, you said it earlier. I don't think he's going to be one of their top three corners. That That's the truth. I'd be shocked. At least one healthy. But look, you need bodies at corner. You know, knock on wood, but someone's going to go down at some point, right? That's just the way it tends. Look how many of them went down last year for them at corner, right? It just happened. So, but you, you assume it's going to be Fulton, Jack Rabbit. Uh, and Farley, of course, being your top three, but he's your, he's at worst, he's your number four corner. And I've said this, uh, I said this on 440 sports as well, but three safety looks, you know, don't underrate it. He played some safety at Washington. I, I-, I talked about maybe him being rookie Amani Hooker. Remember when they drafted Hooker? I think we had the same feeling. It was a fourth round pick, I think, with Hooker. And we didn't really see the need at the time. Oh, safety, interesting. We didn't see the need at the time. It reminds me so much of the Hooker pick because you, you heard John Robinson talk about Hooker, said a lot of the same things he just said about Molden, right? The football IQ. Remember Robinson talked about uh, the one play that jumped out at him where, where Hooker knew what was coming, diagnosed the play, made a play on the ball. Yeah. Same vibe, right, with Molden. And, and what did Hooker do? He got on the field more as a rookie than we thought he was going to. They started incorporating those three safety looks that year, really. And we saw Hooker play. Don't be surprised if Molden follows in the same footsteps. Totally agree. Yeah. So I want to get into another thing here that I sort of brought up a second ago, but never, never got into when you mentioned the the offensive line and stuff is that I think that there is a chance that before I get into this, let me ask you, do you think that, that the Titans are done adding players at the wide receiver position? I don't think they would like to be done. I think they're going to explore some things and and, and look to add somebody, whether that's, you know, ideally through a trade, of course, or whether a a decent veteran gets released. Don't rule that out. We've seen that happen right in recent days. I mean, the bears released a good tackle in in Charles Leno jr. Miami just released Bryce McCain, a, a captain on defense. Nobody saw that coming at all. Some good players are getting cut right now. So I think whether it's a trade or a, a veteran that maybe gets cut that no one's expecting to get cut, I think there's a really good chance that they're going to add someone. I think they're going to try to add someone. If they, That's why, I mean, uh, not to avoid your question, but if they don't add someone, I don't think it'll be for a lack of trying. Okay. I think if they don't add someone, the offense will be more or less fine. And I feel like I am 
alone on that island right now. Yeah, part of me, you know, I I don't want to sound like we're biased and, and, and guarantee that it's going to be okay. But part of me does see a scenario where we're all freaking out right now. And I get why people are nervous. I, I, I really do. Don't get me wrong. But part of me thinks it's possible that we're a couple weeks into the season and we all chuckle at ourselves and go, oh, well, did I forget they ha- still have Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown? Right. Three unbelievable offensive players, the best running back in the league, and a budding superstar at receiver, a guy that's going to be top 10 in the league probably really soon, maybe even this year, especially with all the targets he's about to see. Yeah. But I, I do think it's possible where we're and all a top super five worried. quarterback And a top five quarterback. And, over absolutely. The last Ryan Tannehill, give him his props. So I do think it's possible. And I, you know, lack of weapons, if there's an injury that they're, they're going to be in super tough. Don't get me wrong, but I do think it's possible that we all kind of chuckle and go, Oh yeah. Brian Tannehill, Derrick Henry and AJ Brown. And I think the larger and a great O-line. Yes. Thank you. Terrific That's where O-line. I was going. That Could is be where very I was going. Good. How many teams have a better offensive line than what the Titans are going to roll out next year with Taylor Lewan back? I mean, you have Incredibly to hope Taylor Lewan's back at a high level and that the ACL isn't hampering him. But he tore his ACL so early in the year that he, sh- by the time the season rolls around, he, sh- he should be fine. And whether or not it's Lamb or Raidens or whoever is playing on the right side, like you're going to get replacement level play there, even if you have to turn guys. Like it's going to be good enough. Nate Davis has been great in his second season, should potentially probably take another step forward in his third year or at least play at the level he did last year. Ben Jones played excellent last year. Roger Saffold played at a high level. And sure, Ben Jones is getting up there in age a little bit, but. All these guys have chemistry together, you know, except for the right tackle from left tackle to right guard. They've all played together for a while. And I want to talk about the 2016 Titans because the 2016 Titans had a pretty good offense. It wasn't a great offense, but for an eight game stretch, it was a great offense. And they ended up finishing 11th overall in total yards, which is which is above average. Their best receiver was Rashard Matthews. (laughs) Rashard Matthews, Tajay Sharp. The corpse of Andre Johnson and Kendall Wright was the receiving core. Marcus Mariota was the quarterback, and he played well that season, played really well that year because the team had a strong offensive line, a great running game, and that was all they needed. A.J. Brown is better than any receiver on that team. Obviously, they had Delaney Walker still in, you know, towards the, I guess, his prime, but late career prime. But the offensive line was great. They had a great running game, and they had a a weapon out of the backfield in DeMarco Murray, who was a dangerous pass catcher. And the Titans tried to add this element to their offense last year, and Darrington Evans just spent the whole year injured pretty much. But later in the year, he caught a really nice screen play. He had a receiving touchdown later. He made some plays in the passing game towards the end of the season that make me believe you add him into the mix as a pass catcher, and Josh Reynolds out there at wide receiver, and the offense is going to be humming. It's going to be humming. The biggest question mark is not the loss of Corey Davis or the loss of Johnny Smith or Adam Humphreys or Khalif Raymond or the additions of guys like Des Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath. The biggest question is the loss of Art Smith and will Todd Downing be able to call plays at the level that Art did? I think that is your, your only question about the offense, honestly. Rant over. That's a good point because Downing is, is, is a very different coach than Art Smith, and he's run a relatively uh, different offense, so to speak, right? And, and he's going to change it a little bit. I'm expecting it to stay relatively similar, but he is going to change it a little bit. We may see more of a drop-back passing game. We, we've talked about that. They need one, right? They need to get better in that area, uh, you know, drop-back passing, not, not the play action and, and things of that nature. But um, can Todd Downing, yeah, can, is he the guy? You know, because Arthur Smith was amazing. We were blessed to have Arthur Smith. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I, you're, maybe your energy's rubbing off on me here. But I am I'm feeling okay. I, I really am. I think Evans is going to make a lot of plays. I think Ferkser is going to make plays. And, you know, it's a situation where – I don't think they need, it can be a bit of a committee thing. You know what I mean? Like on one drive, you know, Derrick Henry and AJ Brown are going to make their plays on almost every single drive. That's the kind of players they are. And it doesn't have to be the same guy in terms of the supporting cast on every drive. Josh Reynolds is going to make a play. Anthony Furcher is going to make a play. Darrington Evans is going to make a play all in the passing game. Des Fitzpatrick's going to make a play. So I do see a scenario where by committee, with those guys, those four guys specifically, 
because they're important to this, that the offense can continue humming along. It may not be top three good, but it should still be pretty good. And honestly, if the defense takes a huge leap forward, which it's poised to do, I mean, you have to hope. Then it bounces out. Even if they go from where they were to just below average, like that's what we said last year. Yeah, they they were 32, that'd average, be 32 right? to what, 18? It's a huge yeah. difference. Right? Like just take a little bit of pressure off the offense, make it so the offense doesn't have to be as good as it was. I think you'll see a natural regression anyway because hopefully the defense is better such that the offense isn't always pressing to go score quickly, you know, and and because of the defense is setting up with shorter fields or forcing more three and outs or allowing them to play with a lead. All those things that help an offense hum, I think if you have a better defense, then that, you know, Mike Vrabel is a very big believer in the idea of complementary football. You hear him talk about it in almost every press conference he's in. So I think that they believe they're not, because there's a big criticism from the fan base, and this is something Zach said a lot, is that, Zach from Efforts Pod, is that they're taking from the offense in order, like they're sacrificing the offense in order to better the defense. Like they're ignoring the offense and that just focusing on improving the defense. But in their minds, they're probably believing that by improving the defense, they're also helping the offense again with shorter fields and, and playing with a lead more often and, and things like that. And there is a chance that they can still be explosive on offense. I agree with you right outside of the top three guys, the three stars that they have at quarterback receiver and running back again, it have it by committee. Anthony Ferkser can go out there and catch a 20 yard pass. Darrington Evans can make an explosive play in the stream game. Uh, Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds. I don't think people realize Josh Reynolds. I think is going to give you 80% of what Corey Davis gave you. I feel comfortable saying that, but at least from a yardage perspective, what did Davis have about 990 yards? I think Josh I, Reynolds gives you 700, 750. I agree. Maybe like, I mean, Josh Reynolds is pretty good in contested catch situations. He's long. He's got a big catch radius. He can jump high. Played in the offense. Yeah, and and Corey Davis made some pretty fantastic grabs like at the sideline, and maybe maybe you lose that element. Maybe you don't lose that element. I think you don't lose that much, and I've been a big Corey Davis believer his whole time here. And But I, I also think Josh Reynolds, like we said this on the podcast before free agency really opened, that we thought he w- could be in line for a breakout if he came to an offense like Tennessee's to replace a Corey Davis. And I honestly think that that's possible, that, that he yeah. could – People are probably listening to this right now and saying, oh, you guys are biased. Josh Reynolds is not going to give you 750 yards or 800 yards. He had 618 last year with a much worse quarterback in Jared Goff in a worse offense last year. The Rams were not a good offense last year. They weren't. They weren't a, they weren't a top three offense. Not even close. You know, they, they rode, I know it's Sean McVay and yada, yada, and we know his offense. They rode their defense last year. That's why their defensive coordinator just got a head coaching job. And they, LA. A, they were 11th in total yards last year. They were not, uh, they were not great on offense. In my opinion, they were, what, how many points did they score a game? 23.3. Titans had what? 30.7, a full touchdown more. 23.3 on a, is... on a game by game basis. Significant difference. 24. gave him 618 yards. 23rd in the league. 23rd in the league in points per game last year. The Rams. Not good. Not Terrible. good. And I stand by what I said. The yards are there. They were not good on offense last year. Josh Reynolds had 618 yards in that offense. That wasn't very good for a bad quarterback and Jared Goff. That's why they got rid of him. And he played behind some good players. I know they had some injuries, but he's been behind there, right? Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, so and so on. So he's coming here with opportunity. If he gave them 618 last year, there's no reason he can't give the Titans 750 or 800. I agree. I think that Josh Reynolds will be fine as the wide receiver too. And AJ Brown should only get better. And hopefully he plays the year healthier. He did have that procedure to fix up his knee. So hopefully, you know, that, that is the, the, honestly, the biggest concern is we just talked about depth at all these positions. They have great depth at tackle. Now they have great depth at cornerback now, which they did not have last year, but they have no depth at wide receiver, which is the only reason I could see them making a move is to just beef up that depth because I mean, if A.J. Brown, God forbid, were to get hurt, you are, you are in big trouble on offense. Big trouble. Like, big trouble. So that's a big thing. I think that that's a real thing that they need to consider. And A.J. Brown got hurt last year, and luckily he was able to play through it because he's a tough guy. He's a competitive, tough player who plays through injuries like that. But if it's worse than it was, I mean, that that would be awful. Or 
that com- that injury came back in some way. I don't know. I don't mean to harp on this, but that is where the big concern is for me is the wide receiver depth because you're you're not far away from Cam Batson and Nick Westbrook Akine both being on the field at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be a problem. They're certainly not deep in there uh, enough. And, and back to your original question, that's why I, I still think it's possible that they go make a move. Yeah. I do. I think Julio Jones is not off the table. I think I think some Titans fans really, really want him and really believe it's happening. I think some Titans fans think it's totally preposterous that this could happen. But, I mean, they haven't committed to him publicly in speaking they've actually said that yeah we have listened to offers for him and like you don't usually say something like that in public if you're not actually trying or shopping somebody and to me the question is what does it cost you know do you give up a third rounder do you give up a fourth rounder he's 32 years old if you give up anything higher than a third rounder then you could say like this time next year would you rather have 33 year old julio jones or a second round wide receiver that you could draft next year like so I don't know. To me, I think I think it'd be a huge boost to the 2021 offense, but is it worth the long-term sacrifice? That that's so tough for me to answer. To be honest, that's a great question because I can see I can I think I think you can answer yes or no and make a good argument for either one because yes, because this team's in a Super Bowl window and Julio Jones helps you get better right now, and you should try to go win the Super Bowl in 2021. No, because he's getting older, and you, I don't know if you should sacrifice uh, a pick like that for a guy that's been a little banged up and is getting up there in age. But I'll tell you what, if they did it, I'll, I'll, I'd be excited for it. There, there's no way this team acquires Julio Jones and you're not excited for it. I, I don't care what anybody says. That, that's preposterous if you're not excited about Julio Jones. I agree. Even if he is banged up every single week and on the injury report and questionable for every game, like which he has been for most of his career, he usually plays through it, though. I think he gets a bad rap for injuries when – when yes, he's been banged up his whole career, but he usually plays. Like I think he only played eight games last year because of a hamstring. But aside from that, in in most of the last few years, he's been playing a lot more often than than he did early on. So I think if his body breaks down, you know, and that happens because he's because he's getting up there, and you just don't get a lot out of him, it's kind of worth the gamble. And it shows me that this team's ready to try to go all in while they know they have a Super Bowl window open. So I think it's definitely in the cards. I think trading for a wide receiver in general is in the cards. And I also think trading for a tight end is very possible as we look at the roster, another position that they totally ignored in the draft and mentioned that run that happened right before their pick at 85. And that could have definitely contributed to them not drafting a tight end and instead overdrafting Monty Rice. But you look around the league and you wonder about maybe an OJ Howard, maybe a David Njoku, maybe a Zach Ertz, who I think there's a rumor that the Eagles are just going to straight up release him after June 1st to get out of that contract. So potentially look at signing him after that happens. You mentioned a lot of veterans are being cut around the league and you never know who's going to be available. So I don't know if you had to put a percentage on it that the Titans make a move for a wide receiver or a tight end. What do you what would you put? I don't think it's 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 really fair to answer any of those because I think they should keep their options open at both. And if OJ Howard is released or Zach Ertz is released, then they should probably make that move. And if, I can't even think of a receiver to be honest. I don't know who would be on the bubble off the top of my head. But if there's a veteran receiver in that same mold, right, an OJ Howard type, a Cameron Brake type, a David Njoku type at receiver – that gets released and they should pounce on that too. So uh, I think they'll be really exploring this market and it'll be, I'm curious to see if anyone does get released. Uh, that's worth bringing in from a pass catching perspective. You know, to me is, I think as fans, you look around and you want to make your team better right away. But the reality is that there's no rush for them right now. There's no rush for them to make a move that they could later regret because somebody else became available, whether via trade or because they were released, that you might as well wait until August, until late August, early, early September, and keep your feelers around the league with general managers who have potentially guys that could be on the block or could be cut and and keep a vigilant eye out. But there's no rush to make that move now. And yeah, you want to get them in and get chemistry with the guys and yada, 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 but... I don't think that they are in a hurry to make a move and that if we do see something, it could be a little while. I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. But these next few weeks, I do think can be a little crucial because it seems like these guys are getting released, right? Charles Leno just got released. Uh, Bryce McCain just got released. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. One guy we haven't touched enough on this episode at all uh, is Des Fitzpatrick. You know, that that's the wild card here. You know, we, we talked about him a little, I know, but they like him. They, they, they obviously like him quite a bit. And I will say this is I wasn't, you know, crazy excited. Uh, when they made that pick, but they need a guy that can contribute immediately. And he is that kind of guy, right? He's advanced. He's experienced. He, he, he's a good route runner. He's got good releases. I think he can play for you right away. So I think, I think from that perspective of it, it does make it a little interesting, doesn't it? You almost yeah. can see why they targeted him there because they need someone that can play right away and he's ready. Fifth year senior who's pretty athletic. I mean, he's a field stretcher for sure. The speed, the speed shows up on tape. When he starts sprinting, he's got long, smooth strides, and he gets up to top speed really quickly, accelerates really fast. And just watching him on film, he looks kind of like Tajay Sharp and Josh Reynolds, but faster. He's like a faster Josh Reynolds, honestly. So it looks like the Titans are targeting him for a specific role, which would be that field stretcher role the the guy who runs the posts and corners and flies in the offense like Khalif Raymond did for them on the outside which is why I think maybe you didn't see them target someone like Amari Rogers is because they weren't looking for that role for whatever reason they weren't looking for that role they were looking for somebody who could stretch the field vertically from the outside and I think that's exactly what Des Fitzpatrick brings so and they draft Racy McMath later in the draft, who's kind of similar, unrefined player, but a 4-3 guy, 4-3-9, but a 4-3 guy who can also place, who's definitely going to probably have to find a role on special teams if he wants to make the roster at all. But potential long-term development guy, stash him on the practice squad, see what happens. He's an athlete and see if you can mold him into a receiver. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's more of a special teams pick. I mean, you're right. The, the intangibles are, are exciting. You're curious. There are some traits there, but I think he's probably more of a special teams player, a gunner uh, than, than anything else. Yeah, if he makes the roster, if he makes the roster at all. Um, but they do draft two wide receivers. They now and sign Fred Brown. They now have 12 receivers on the roster. So that's how many guys they plan to bring to camp. So it looks like to me they're trying to f hopefully find a diamond in the rough there. Be I don't know if they if they take a swing on a big fish. I hope that they do, but we'll see what happens. One other thing I want to touch on that this draft class did is, you know, obviously they picked a lot of defenders, five defensive guys, only three offensive players in this class, and two cornerbacks, linebacker, and edge is they're beefing up to to reload on defense when they lose guys next year. And I don't know if Harold Landry is going to be one of the guys that they lose, but if you look at what they're now spending on the secondary, you know, is it's a really cheap room full of guys on rookie contracts outside of Janoris Jenkins and Kevin Johnson who are on one-year deals, right? Right? Is that true? Are they both on one-year deals? I think Jack Rabbit's on a two-year deal, I two think. Two-year deal, maybe. Um, yeah. but I think it was two I, years, 14 million on Jack rabbit. Okay. So, so, I mean, he's your highest paid cornerback right now, which is kind of crazy get out of it after year one though. So, yeah. And when you look at what they were spending on the position as recently as when they had Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler under contract or last year with Butler and Adoree's, uh, number is fifth year option number is, I mean, that's a lot of cap space that they've been spending on that position that they won't be spending going forward because they got really young at that position with guys who should be really good. Like if Caleb Farley avoids any injury problems, he should be really good. Elijah Molden, we're both confident, is going to be really good. Christian Fulton, we watched as a rookie. We talked to him uh, before his rookie season, or not as a rookie. We watched as a, as a college pro prospect, and we talked to him before his rookie season, and we both felt that he is a really good prospect and should be a really good player. So if all three of those guys are really good players, that is a cheap, cheap secondary of talent when that position group usually costs you a lot of money. So that I think that that positions the Titans well moving forward to try to do something. And I think it justifies a little bit spending as much as they did on Bud Dupree at the edge position because they're getting ready to possibly see Harold Landry, Rashawn Evans, and Jayon Brown walk next year. 
Yeah, you're right. That secondary, it's there's not a lot of money tied up there, right? It's a young group. Of course, they got some money tied up in Kevin Byard. I think Amani Hooker's entering his contract year, right? So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, underrated player, right? Who you may be able to get back on a decent deal, depending on what he does this year. But Molden, Farley, there's young guys. Fulton, a lot of young guys. A lot of, and Farley, I mean, they're going to control that contract for five years. Yeah. Molden's entering year two of year of, of four. Molden's entering year one of four. So a lot of cheap money in that secondary. And, 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 and strategically, like you said, and, and I like it. I think three good football players that you're getting yeah. real cheap uh, for the next little bit. Hooker's got two years left on his deal. Dane Crickshank's entering the final year of his. Two, my apologies. I wouldn't have guessed that. Even better. I mean, you tell me, Amani Hooker, Caleb Farley, Elijah Molden, Christian Fulton, four key members of that secondary are on their rookie deal still. Yeah. And none of them are entering a contract year even. You've got to really like that mega. That makes John Robinson smile from ear to ear. Absolutely. And that's that. I mean, they were positioning themselves to do this when they cut Malcolm Butler and, and released Adoree Jackson. You got to so. play well, though, too. Let's be clear. Yeah, of course. Of course. So I think overall, we look at the team compared to last year, and you probably say, it's not quite as good on paper because of what you lost on offense and because the defense on paper should have been at least decent last year when you had Jadeveon Clowney and, and healthy players in the secondary. Now you didn't have a lot of healthy players most of the year, so that could have contributed to it. But so on paper, it should be better. I don't know if it's a lot better because you're relying on a lot of young players or guys stepping into roles that you you hope they have or Bud Dupree changing teams coming off a torn ACL and like Danico Autry changing teams. Anytime guys change teams, you know, remember how excited Titans fans were for Andy Levitre? I don't mean to bring up old memories, but oh. you never know. You just never know. So on paper, I think it, the defense looks better. I think the offense looks worse, obviously, but I think it can all balance out and the team can end up being just as good. And when you look at the competition in the division, I mean, the Colts, probably sign one of these tackles eventually right but right now they don't have a left tackle that anyone could feel confident in at all and that's one of your most important positions on offense especially for a guy like Carson Wentz who's been notoriously injury prone and skittish in the pocket so they're they're gonna get a tackle though I mean we know they are I think the Jags might be better than the Texans if Trevor <laughs> Lawrence is any good so the bottom of the division looks really bad. It's really, I mean, it's got to be the Titans and the Colts for the division. And I think when Certain. you stack up their rosters, you got to feel good about what the Titans can do this season, despite how frustrated you might be about the moves they made. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm still as worried as I am about, you know, the, the past, you know, at, at times we're talking about the past catchers and yada, yada. I, I still think they're the best team in the AFC South, but you know, just like last season, the goal has to be more than that. It can't just be about winning the AFC South. They did that last year. Wasn't good enough. They still lost their first playoff game. So, yes, you want to win the division again, but you also want to win a couple playoff games, which they failed to do last season. Yeah. Um, so, Rashad Weaver, Titans' fourth-round pick. Who knows what's going on with this situation? Obviously, he's been uh, charged with simple assault after a fight outside of a bar. It occurred before two weeks before the draft. Charges were filed against him on April 30th, the day before he was drafted by the Titans. Some people out there are saying the Titans should have known about this. What? Where do you fall on that? It's such a tough question for me to answer because apparently, you know, Paul Kuharski has done his work, and apparently there were teams that knew about it. And I mean, there's no reason to doubt that. That's the case, and it makes the Titans look bad for, for not knowing about it. Absolutely. I'm not shocked that they didn't know about it. I think it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, they absolutely should have known. I mean, you know, do, do they check in with every guy on their board the night before? And even if they do, you know, is he going to bring it up? I, I don't think so. You know what I mean? So he may not even, you know, have known that he was, you know, being charged, right? Or was he summoned already? Do we know that? Did he have his no, papers? No, he wasn't summoned until Monday. Right. So it, it, it's tough to say, right? I think, it would, you know, you can make the case for both sides. I'll say that. I don't feel, just being honest with you, and maybe I'm stupid for not feeling this way, but I don't feel an overwhelming sense of they absolutely should have known, and I can't believe they didn't know, and 
no, I, I don't feel that strongly about that. That's just the God honest truth. I mean, it's yeah. If, if other teams knew and apparently they did, then it makes them look bad, but I'm not totally shocked that all 32. I mean, we don't need, maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers knew they're in Pittsburgh. You know, I, I don't know yeah. who knew, but it, I, I don't feel an overwhelming sense of they absolutely should have known. And that's not me letting them off the hook. I just, uh, it, it, I'm not shocked that they didn't know about it. I just, you know, I'm not shocked. I don't know. Yeah, it is tough. You know, it's, I, it's tough. a shame, obviously. It's it's yeah. horrible. Because you like the player on you tape. You like the player. You do. I, I love the player. I'll be honest. I was thrilled when they when they got him where they got him. Wow. You know? Yeah. I mock drafted him in our in our mock draft. I picked him. Yeah, probably in the third or fourth round, right? Probably earlier than they got him. So fifth, fifth actually. Oh, okay. There you go. I'm, I was surprised <laughs> he lasted that long. I thought he was going to go before Patrick Jones, right? And he didn't. So yeah, Maybe and I got a buddy, a, a buddy of mine who's a diehard Pitt fan. And um, when I professed my love for Patrick Jones really early in this process, he said, "Oh, you got the wrong one, man. No, Rashad Weaver's the guy, and he's the uh. one who's going to go earlier than Patrick." And and it's a guy that and I watched every snap they took at Pitt. You know, a guy who knows his football well. And is a big fan of the team. So wow. I, I thought Weaver would go before Jones. I was surprised when it didn't happen. Uh, you you love the pick. You love the player. but um, And the value. You know, the, but you wonder if the value is what it is because other teams knew right. about this incident. Right. And, and look, they love them at Pitt. They love them. They love them. At, I'll tell you that. They, they, they'll tell you stand-up guy. Stand-up model citizen, model player. So I... I I mean, yeah. but if it's true, it's horrific, and he's he's got to go. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they how well, we just got to like you said, wait and see approach on that one because that's hopefully... what the team is going to do. So it's irrelevant us discussing because yeah. I think the team is clearly taking that approach because, like I said, if they were going to cut him, it would have been done already. Uh, do you want to talk about Brady Breeze at all? He's a guy. Brady he's Breeze. We didn't touch on him real quick. I guess actually, yeah, we did touch on McMath. Right? Breeze was their last pick. Yeah. Special teams, Gunner. Ability to be a really good one. Chance to be a really good one. Remember a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how many guys they needed on special team. Now they almost yeah. really, now you almost wonder if they overdid it. I I think they have they got a lot of special teams depth now. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we they had no one. They got the guy. Well, they're gonna Pittsburgh. make they're gonna make a competition out of it, and they're gonna say, "Look, Racy McMath and Brady Breeze. If you guys want to make this team as rookies, you gotta be you gotta do it on special teams. So let's yeah, see what you Ma- got." Matthi- Matthias Farley, right? They went out and got yeah. This guy age, they yeah. this guy they just signed on Thursday. Yep. Uh, uh, what's his name? Justin March. Yep, the linebacker, another guy that can play special teams. Remember early on in free agency, the the linebacker they got in Pittsburgh, Ole Adani, Ola. Ola Adani. Ola. Ola the guy Adani. from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Who's Ola a big Adani. special teams player. So they went outside him. He's a big special teams guy. Matthias Farley, safety from the Jets, former Colt as well. Huge special teams guy. You draft Brady Breeze and Ray C. McMath at the end there, which I feel like were almost exclusively special teams picks. Truth be told. And then um, Justin March, as you mentioned, the linebacker they just signed uh, yesterday, special teams guy. So a lot of depth at special teams all of a sudden. Yeah, so that that I mean, Babel calls those the hidden yards. I think that it's important to be good on special teams. They still don't have a kicker on the roster outside of Tucker McCann. So oh, is well, he the, the and the UDFA and and they got a UDFA. That's correct. So out of Ohio State too, a good one. Yeah, hey, maybe he's the kicker of the future. You never know. So, what, but it'll be me if he's the kicker of twenty twenty one. Truth be told. Yeah, I mean, they still have a they they could still free up a little bit of money and try to get Koskowski back for one more year. Yeah, it wouldn't shock that. me if Goskowski is like, you know what? I'm screwing off until September. Yeah. You don't need me at OTAs. You don't need me here. You don't need me, yada, yada. Call me in September. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. And I'll miss the first, I'll miss four kicks in my first game, but then I'll, I'll settle down from there. Exactly. Right? Because I missed <laughs> all that time in the summer. <laughs> and they uh, won't cut him. You know, they won't. You know, Vrabel yeah. won't, you know, Vrabel won't cut him. They're buddies. They are buddies. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about from this draft or these recent free agent signings? No, I think we, I think we covered it all. I mean, if you let us know, if you listen to a Titans podcast that went deeper than this on the draft class that went deeper on the free agent signings over the last week, we didn't get super deep into the UDFA class, but maybe we'll do that next week. Cause by then I'll have a couple of good stories to tell. Cause I've just began the process where I'm going to be sitting down with a lot of them and, and, and talking with them. So. 
That's right. And we also have a schedule release to look forward to as the NFL schedule will come out next Wednesday. Ooh, we're definitely diving into that. That'll be exciting to talk about next week. Even though we already know all the Titans home and away opponents, we don't know the order they play them in and we don't know the primetime games and we don't know how many primetime games they got snubbed out of and how many primetime games the Chicago Bears are going to have. Although that might be exciting this year if Justin Fields is playing. Justin Fields. How many how many other Jags are going to have? I'm curious. Oh, gosh. Well, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence plays Zach Wilson. So they're going to the Jags and the Jets play. So they're going to put that on primetime at some point, I bet. I don't blame them. That'll be a fun. But you know what? You're right. We know the opponents. But at the same time, we get to look forward to week one against so and so. So that'll that'll be fun to find out. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about that next week, along with some UDFA news and and just getting into who they are a little bit and their chances to make the team. I think the sleeper there is the tight end that they acquired, Briley Moore. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Oh, they also signed the quarterback. Uh, who'd you report that you you broke this? We didn't talk about it at yeah, all. Yeah, I did. I, I broke the news that they've invited Memphis quarterback Brady White to training camp, a rookie mini camp. Uh, people, I mean, my Twitter blew up when I reported that. I don't know. I, I don't think I fully realized how much support Brady White has in the state of Tennessee. But look, he, I, I get it. Huge, huge, big time quarterback at the University of Memphis, a record breaker. 90 touchdown passes there, almost 11,000 passing yards at Memphis. So we love him in the state of Tennessee. And uh, he's, got a, he's got a chance. I mean, what they got Logan Woodside behind Tannehill. They don't, yeah. they don't have a lot. So They love Logan Woodside, but that is they true. Do they do love Logan Woodside, right? He's been there for a <laughs> while. You got to say he certainly has the upper hand because of how long he's been there. But do they even have a number three besides Brady White? Yeah, they have uh, Deshaun Kaisers on the roster. Yes, that's right. But I mean, yeah. it's yeah. got to be one of the worst depth charts in the NFL, right? When it comes to QB two and three. Yeah. Have you seen so, the Texans? <laughs> I said one of. One Deshaun Watson is still there technically. So, okay, but, well, but you're right. Yeah. Davis Mills. They got Tyrod Taylor there. Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills who started. I'd much what, rather have Tyrod Taylor than Logan Woodside. Okay, but if Tyrod Taylor's QB one. Yes, then, then, then we're, which he probably will be soon, right? And then right. we're talking. Until, until he gets stabbed in the heart. Yeah, by the other doctor. He's got t- terrible luck. But Brady White, man, I, I got to break the news. That was, you know, that was fun because of what he means to the state of Tennessee. Good friends with Elijah Molden. I'm just seeing here that Molden oh, yeah. posted my report on his Instagram. He posted a screenshot of nice. a photo of him and Brady White standing together. And then he posted uh, a, a screenshot of my tweet saying that Brady White was going to training camp with the Titans. So I, I, he quote tweeted me, Elijah Molden. On, he posted it on Twitter. He posted it on Instagram. He's super stoked to have his buddy in Tennessee. But, um, you know, again, this is a guy that means a lot to the state. He was unbelievable at Memphis. Uh, the numbers are eye-popping. 11,000 passing yards are close to it. 90 touchdown passes. 30 every year, pretty much, for the last three years. Been a big-time mm-hmm. performer. Uh, I'm excited for him that he has this opportunity. And I, I'm, I should be sitting down with him over the next couple of days. We're going to tell his story. He's going nice. to be joining me over on broadwaysportsmedia.com, and we're going to have some fun with him. Nice. And uh, while you're talking about guys that Elijah Molden knows, apparently there are, he's also friends with another Brady, Brady Breeze, the last pick the Titans yes. made. Joe Rexord reported this. Uh, Brady's uncle and Elijah's dad played together at Oregon. So that's pretty interesting. That's fine. And then, and then, hey, they both played in the Pac-12. They saw each other, right? Molden out of Washington, yeah. Breeze at Oregon. So there are quite a few ties there, and that's a lot of fun. I saw that Molden was really excited when they made the Breeze pick. So uh, that's good. I mean, he's already endearing himself, right, to the team and, and to the state, and he's got a couple buddies with him. So that, that's nice to see. And they're, we're going to love this guy in, in Tennessee, Elijah Molden. We're going to love him. And on that note, Christian Fulton's uh, old college roommate was is Racy McMath. That's so right. Reunite Another them connection. as well. Yeah. Another connection. We got some great stories coming up on Broadway. By the way, we're touching on all these guys. I'm going nice. to sit down with Brady White. Uh, I'm, I'm interviewing almost all of the UDFAs. I probably won't get to all of them, but I'll be doing quite a lot of them. Uh, I did the story that just ran today on Caleb Farley's college coach. Make sure you read that with Coach Brian Mitchell, detailing what kind of player and man Caleb Farley is. And you can go back a day. I did the same thing for Dylan Raiden. So I sat down with his head coach at North Dakota State, Coach Matt Entz. I had a terrific conference call with him. Got to ask him a lot of great questions. So I'm detailing the picks through these stories, through the lens of their coaches, the guys who helped develop them as players and as men. So make sure you head over to Broadway and give both of those stories a read. And stay tuned for next week. I'm going to be interviewing the UDFAs, as I said. I'm Brady White, and I got a couple surprises up my sleeve. I might get to some of this draft class as well.
Nice. We look forward to all of that over on broadwaysportsmedia.com, where you can also listen to this podcast and others. Check out the F-Words pod series. They're doing a draft profile on every single pick the Titans made. 10 to 15 minute little mini pods on each guy. So those have been really interesting. The, the last one That's comes out great. tonight. I've enjoyed Friday it. Night. That's been terrific. Nice little, yeah. so digestible, 15 minute scouting each player. That's been a lot of fun. Make sure you listen I, to that. I agree. I think they've been great. And check out the 440 uh, 440 podcast that you were on recently with Braden Gall talking about the Titans draft class as well for more. So we got a lot going on all over the place and we will be back next week to talk about the schedule and get into the UDFAs. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in. If you're still with us, be sure to head on over to wherever you listen to this podcast and give it a five star rating because that helps us out a lot. Appreciate that. And that'll do it until next week. You guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.